You're listening to Liberty Buzzard with Dustin Hammett and Thomas Umstead Jr. Episode 44. I'm Dustin Hammett. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. Welcome to Liberty Buzzard, the podcast for inquisitive minds. Today, Thomas and I, well, we decided we're going to talk a little bit about trolling and trolling in academia. I ran across this fascinating article, and of course, I'm a uh, big follower of uh, the the intellectual dark web, so-called, uh, based on an article written by Barry Weiss in the New York Times. And the intellectual dark web, uh, I think we've discussed it before in Liberty Buzzard, is a uh, group of intellectuals uh, from across the political spectrum who come together and try to discuss issues um, in a um, in a forthright and decent manner. So. You have some professors, college professors from uh, liberal uh, holdfast universities. You have, you know, Ben Shapiro's a part of the intellectual dark web, and uh, a broadcaster named uh, 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 drawing a blank right now, um, Dave Rubin, who does a uh, YouTube show. And uh, I'm a big uh, follower of these guys. Oh, and Jordan Peterson as well. For those of you who don't know who Jordan Peterson is. He is a uh, former, maybe current, um, University of Toronto, that would be in Canada, uh, professor who fought back against a, uh, a, a so-called governmental dictate to use certain uh, gender-neutral terms and became famous for that. So, so yeah, so this is uh, an, a, um, a news story that is right down their aisle. And uh, the news story is the title. This is uh, from the New York Times, and it's about what's uh, called a grievance studies hoax. So basically what happened was there's these three professors, uh, PhD professors, I believe, who um, decided that they were going to expose the uh, ridiculousness of identity politics in academia, in the ivory tower. And so they started uh, writing and uh, submitting for publication to uh, various social studies um, and gender studies journals uh, these ridiculous and uh, made-up studies. One of them, I believe, was – I'm going to go back and find it because I clicked off of it – was about how people in dog parks uh, review their uh, bias, their their gender bias because – uh, they intercede when a male dog humps another male dog, but they will not intercede when a male dog humps a female dog, therefore showing all of our bias uh, against women uh, based on people's – of course, it's all all BS. They made it up, but they submitted to journals, and it got – these articles, they get, several of them got accepted, and uh, they, they received a claim. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, there's a YouTube documentary that they made about it. We linked it to them in our show notes. Highly recommend you go watch it. It's fascinating. It's an absolutely fascinating take on so-called identity politics um, and the tribalism that has become the nature of uh, the political discussion today. And it's especially uh, as it relates to the ivory tower, academia, the university campus and uh, I showed it to Thomas first thing this morning or uh, earlier this morning, and uh, I haven't really talked to him about it, and I kind of wanted to get his first takes. Thomas, what do you think about all this? This was interesting, but it wasn't that surprising. And I've said for a long time uh, when I talk with high school students, never get a degree that ends in the word studies. 
uh, because degrees and in studies often have so abandoned truth in specifically useful truth that they're just not that useful and they're definitely not worth spending money on and certainly not worth um, you know going into debt to study some degree that ends in studies and this is a, a series of hoaxes basically targeting gender studies and, and uh, a lot of the other kinds of studies studies types uh, degrees and uh, you know fields of academia and when you've abandoned truth as like your core premise, especially the idea of objective truth, then, you know, what gets published or not doesn't, it's not a matter of whether it's true or not. It's a matter of whether it fits and helps further the goals, the political goals of those um, colleges. Because the the whole purpose of those colleges, the the kinds of colleges that end in the word studies, is to further some political aim to, you know, cause some sort of change in the world. And that kind of makes me sad. And it also makes me especially sad for the honest liberals, because not all liberals are, are crazy town like this. In fact, these people doing these hoaxes themselves are left leaning liberal professors, but they are liberal professors who believe in truth. And I think that that is an important distinction. I remember watching there was um that uh, I think it was at Evergreen University where the students took over. Yes. And this evolutionary scientist uh, professor was trying to debate with the students and engage with them in a dialectic and engage on truth. And he was just being steamrolled and and name called and was like, oh, you're this conservative, blah, blah, blah. And I will say, speaking for conservatives, because I grew up that way, we would not claim unto our own an evolutionary scientist. <laughs> when we were like looking for champions, that's not who we would be looking for. And he wouldn't identify as that. I mean, he's a professor at Evergreen University. That's not exactly a university. It's like, man, we want to hire some of the greatest conservative minds of our time. Uh, and yet... As a scientist, right, as somebody who believes in truth and who's wanting to engage in truth, just because somebody you agree with is lying to advance their uh, objectives or publishing hoaxes or things that are not hoaxes but might as well be because the people who are are publishing them are just so off, um, then, you know, there's a real problem there. But here's here's the kicker because it's really easy. A lot of our listeners are, you know, leaning to the right. It's really easy to point at when the left does this. Be like, oh, you terrible liberals, you're lying and you don't love the truth. But don't we do that too? Uh, A friend of mine uh, has been doing some political work for some conservatives here in Texas. And the things that he is doing are so dishonest that he's being having that he's being asked to do are so dishonest that it is giving him a distaste for conservatism overall, (laughs) because even though the aims and the objectives are noble aims, right, they're righteous objectives, the way that they are being gone after, the means are so distasteful that it poisons those ends. And this this is one of the things that's interesting that kind of separates the religious right from the kind of more secular right, is that if you're a religious person, specifically if you're a Christian, the means are really important to you, because... uh, 
God ultimately is control in control. He's in control of the ends. All we have to contribute to this world is the means, right? The means can't justify the ends because the ends are in God's hands. Only the means are something that we can influence. And even then only with God. And so if you are doing a good thing in a bad way, that becomes a bad thing if you approach it from a Christian worldview. Whereas if you approach it from a conservative secular worldview, it's like, it's a bad thing that's being done to help the world, but somebody's got to do it, right? The means justify the ends. And that utilitarian ethic is a, very much in conflict with Christianity and yet very prevalent amongst conservatives, especially in this day of Trump, where all kinds of means are being used. And it's it's a fascinating discussion. It's fascinating to see that both the left and the right are struggling over, do we value truth more than power or do we value power more than truth. Dustin, your thoughts. So a lot of thoughts on what you said, Thomas. Um, and do not let me forget because you said something, and I don't know if you can or will elaborate on it, but you know, you said your friend uh, quit or was thinking about quitting because he was disgusted with uh, you know the, the means. And I was really hoping to get you to elaborate on the means. But before we do that, I want to make a comment on um, Evergreen State uh, and you know what, what that that whole situation, which I I briefly touched on before in some previous shows, but I didn't really talk that much into it. But uh, for those who haven't listened to the previous shows, I will say that uh, the Evergreen State is a fascinating case study, and I highly recommend. They have these uh, series of documentaries about what happened on YouTube. And I can't remember if it was Eric or Sam Weinstein. They're part of the intellectual dark web that uh, I was referring to, and uh, whichever one was the professor there. Uh, was at the was 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 the professor at the center of this this whole dilemma, and they like you said they ousted him for having the gall to um, to not absent himself uh, from the university when uh, it was decided by a group of uh, you know quote unquote uh, grieved minorities that all white men or all whites I can't remember the, the, with, with the exact. Uh, uh, group was was asked to please absent yourself on this day um in, in honor of you know of, of these grieved minority groups and he said that's ridiculous it's one thing if you want to absent yourself as a form of protest but to ask other people to absent themselves is wrong so that was his stance and uh so he became pilloried at evergreen state and it's a fascinating case study to watch because all of a sudden this school, because of a weak president, I'll put it out there, the school president, that is, this school all of a sudden was overtaken by aggrieved mobs. And uh, for those who have studied politics uh, and studied history, you're probably familiar with George Orwell's Animal Farm, which, of course, is... Um, I don't know what's the it, it was it was a political satire it was it was a political commentary written by George Orwell uh, back in the 40s 50s I can't remember it was uh, 1945 it was published and uh, the it was it was written about the Soviet Union and socialism and you have these groups of animals pigs sheep horses I can't remember what the exact group of animals are but they're all getting together and they're sick and tired of the farmer and they are going to organize together and they are going to overthrow the farmer. Uh, to oversimplify it, really, the end result is the pigs, uh, who were supposed to represent the Bolsheviks, 
essentially uh, became the farmer in the end. Yes, they were oppressed animals. They banded together all the animals and they led them to revolt against the farmer. But once they became the the animals in power, they started doing the exact same things the farmer was doing, and they became the farmer. So as a uh, as a comparison to the Evergreen State thing, you have all of these oppressed, aggrieved groups. All of a sudden, they gained an ounce of power, and they started oppressing as they had been oppressed. And you could, you could sense this feeling of we have uh, – we, we, we are right in oppressing other people because we have been oppressed – and it's our duty to get revenge. And this fascinating and absolutely terrifying case of a study of mob rule and the violence of what mobs can do when they feel vindicated and uh, in this group mentality, they feel like they can do anything. So it's a really fascinating. Uh, and we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll seek out some of those YouTube documentaries and I'll post them there on, the, on, on our show notes. But yeah. So going back to the whole uh, identity politics in the Ivory Tower, the Evergreen State was a – I would call it at this point an extreme example. However, um, you really – across academia, I don't think it's a, it, it's a secret that academia largely is composed of people who are very left-leaning. And conservatives, the conservative pundits uh, will rail against – the uh, left-leaning groupthink ideology being bred uh, in, in universities across the United States today. Um, and this study is really being, by, by this intellectual dark web and by conservative groups, by right-leaning groups, is really being um, put forth as a study of how ridiculous some of these, uh, uh, what do you call them, these quote-unquote studies majors these uh, gender studies and, and race studies are going just to prove their grievance status. And I think the fear in a large part by uh, those who are not in their special groups, uh, white males particularly, of which I am a part of, uh, the fear there is is that just like what happened at Evergreen State, where you feel justified not in, in not just in making things equal, which is where the civil rights movement originally sta- uh, started, of making things equal. Martin Luther King's "I Have a Dream," where you know my four little children uh, will live in a world where they'll not be judged by the color of their skin. So it, it's going away from this idea of equality, where we all have an equal chance to succeed, equality of uh, of, of opportunity, not equality of outcome. Now, all of a sudden, we have this shift, and this is what the Jordan Petersons of the world rail against, this shift to now where the United States uh, has to assure the equality of outcome, which is you know socialism. It is communism, and that's what's really scary to me personally, Thomas, is um, this idea of being spoused in our, our institutions of higher learning that we have to ensure equality of outcome. Uh, and if you don't hop on board our bandwagon, we are going to punish you and we are going to get revenge on you. So that's what's truly, truly terrifying in my mind. This whole identity, politics, tribalism, grievance study thing is so far beyond the original wonderful goal of civil rights uh, uh, movement in the 50s and 60s that it's really become a thing on its own. And you're starting to see it reflected today in the um, 
in, in in the revolt against Trump, you're starting to see it in the uh, the Asocio Cortez is whatever her name is. You know this Democratic Socialist of America. They're 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 seizing on this identity politics and they're running with it. And that's uh, that that's I'm not gonna lie to you. It's, it's frightening to me. Um, so yeah, so that that's my thoughts, Thomas. And I'm I'm sure you have some thoughts on my thoughts. And of course, I also want to hear. You're right. We we on the right. Uh, right of center, however you want to define that, conservative, Republican, whatever word you want to use to define that, we are not perfect. You know, we we all fall short of the glory of God. None of us is perfect. Whatever ideology or religion or spiritual, uh, we're all imperfect and we're all hypocrites to a point. And I'm curious now to hear because it's it's good for all of us to hear. You know what? It's good to know. Good for us to know what are our warts, so that we can make ourselves better. Yeah, I think it's always important to look in the mirror and see how am I, um, you know, any better or am I any better? Because it's very easy to point the finger at somebody else, but often there are three fingers pointing back at us. And, you know, the left is very much wanting to escalate, right? They're, They're wanting to use force. They're bringing violent protesters to peaceful protests and they're bringing violent protesters to you know, potentially uh, violent protests for the whole purpose of creating conflict. And when it comes to power, I remember studying in business school, there's like these five levels of power. You have coercive power, what's sometimes called legitimate power, which is do this or I'll punch you. And then you have uh, reward power, which is do this and I'll give you a cookie. (laughs) Then you have like position power, which is do this because I'm a boss, which is kind of a collection of the first two powers. And then you have expert power, right? Do this because I'm the doctor. And then you have the final form of power is referent power. Do this because because you love me, right? It's the Gandhi, Jesus kind of power. And um, each form of power kind of rests on the form before it, right? If you have no legitimate power, if there's no one with a monopoly on force, then really the only power that matters is, um, you know, physical force, the ability to threaten and harm others. You know, it doesn't matter if, you know, you're respected, you know, they just stab you with their sword. And a great illustration of this is, um, when Rome was sacked by the Gauls, uh, the Romans uh, retreated to their citadel. So Rome is in flames, but in the middle of Rome is this citadel, this fortress that had not been conquered. And they're trying to uh, broker a peace because the Gauls don't want to take the citadel, uh, but they do want to take all of this gold that's in the citadel. So the, they're negotiating and they they f- come to an agreement and the Gauls use unjust scales to measure the gold. And the Romans are like, this isn't fair. And one of the Gauls uh, takes his sword and puts it on the scales and says, don't quote laws to people with swords, something like that, which was later quoted by famous Romans. I think Pompeii quoted it and Caesar quoted it. Um, but like that, like etched into the Roman psyche and they ended up having to pay even more to, you know, pay the gold of the sword that he had put on the scales. And that this that's where the left is trying to take us back to as they're reintroducing violence into the political conversation. And I think that long term strategically, this is a huge mistake for them because I don't think that they are good at violence um, in any sort of organized way. And the people in our society that are good at violence, the left has gone out of their way to alienate at every opportunity. 
So Dustin, you kind of represent the perfect example of the kind of person they've gone out of their way to alienate. You are a member of the armed forces and they have done nothing to ingratiate themselves to you as a member of the armed forces. And then you're a police officer, right? So both of your jobs leading up to your job now as a podcaster, <laughs> where it's a very different kind of job, um, you were a practitioner of violence, right? You were a part of the apparatus of society that held that legitimate punishment power. Follow the laws or we put you in jail. I am carrying a gun and a badge. The badge represents my authority, my uh, position power. The gun represents my, um, you know, legitimate power to harm you. And when you're in Iraq, potentially you'd have had cookies too, because our soldiers in Iraq had like candy and food that they'd hand out to the kids because they would actually use all three of the base versions of power. And um, if if they were to escalate things into the civil war that they were you know, moving us towards, I just don't see it ending well for them because all of the people who are practitioners of violence on behalf of the government right now are not their friends. <laughs> it's like if you have one side that's a bunch of drug dealers and the other side that's the military and the police, I just don't see that being a fair fight. Um, so I, I see this being a strategically a big mistake for them as they move forward and escalate their rhetoric and get more violent in their actions and do more than just use words. Uh, I, I, I see it being very, very risky. Yeah. Um, yes to everything you said. <laughs> I mean, uh, I've often thought about this when you see the, um, I'll call it boasting <clears throat> of some on the left to, you know, to rebel um, we're going to fight, you know, we're going to, we're, and it was, I was like, well, are you going to fight? Or are you asking somebody to fight on your behalf? Because most of the time you don't see a whole lot of leftists in the military. You don't see a whole lot of leftists in the police forces. And I, did, I don't know if it's because we're going to engage in some amateur uh, sociology here, but you know, you can, you can wonder why all day long I would venture to say, you know, there's a lot of political and identity uh, involved with that. And people who are on the left think that joining the military or joining the police forces is beneath them and bad and you shouldn't do it. So therefore, <laughs> the people who think it's good and honorable profession are therefore on the right or right leaning and therefore engage in that profession. So, no, you, you, you hit it on the head. Uh, are you going to be the one who does all this fighting? Because uh, if you're not, uh, you know, who's going to do it for you? And it's interesting that you bring it forward, Thomas, because uh, I had a conversation with uh, one of my really good friends today who is still a police officer in Austin, Texas. And just, you know, we'll, we'll see how this ends up. But uh, they are expecting an anti-Kavanaugh protest today, today being October the 9th, just for record keeping's sake. Uh, it was supposed to happen later on this afternoon, and uh, it's supposed to be pretty violent. Um, and my guess is uh, that uh, this organization called Antifa, which stands for anti-fascists and has uh, been known to have very violent protests and have no qualms about beating up people because they feel like they're in the right to do so. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing, this is just to guess at this point, I'm guessing they're the ones who are sponsoring this protest. So if it is them and they're going out there uh, and they're, they're going to get hot and heavy, it's not the first time that the police forces, whether it's Austin Police Department, Travis County Sheriff, or the uh, Department of Public Safety, who is responsible for capital safety in the state of Texas, it's not the first time that they've clashed with Antifa. And they're pretty good at it by this point. They know how to deal with them. And it's interesting whenever things do tend to ramp up and some uh, member of Antifa does tend to get a little bit uh, squirrely, it ends pretty quick. You want to know why? Because cops work out and they train how to fight people. 
Um, so we're going to see, I'm going to see, you know, I'm not going to go down there and see, I'm going to read in the news later on to see exactly, uh, what kind of protests, uh, ended up happening later on in Austin today. But if I was going to put down some money in Vegas, I would put down money on the side that was not Antifa. Uh, just because generally speaking, they don't train to do the kind of things, uh, that police officers and, uh, and soldiers and Marines tend to do. So, so yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head on that one. Um, but I, I want to go back a little bit because I want, I want, I'll, you know, say what you're say say what you're going to say, but I also want to, I want to know more about these means that your that your friend was talking about. Um, means. Yeah. Earlier we were discussing, uh, the means justifying the ends and how, uh, we are guilty of it on, on the right. And, uh, I was, I was hoping that maybe you could get a little bit more specific on those means. Oh, I, I see. Yes. Yeah, so I don't, I, I don't have a lot of specific details. Um, he wasn't going into details, um, cause he was, you know, sworn to secrecy, but there's a lot of, um, astroturfing, I, I guess I will say, uh, that the right uses. And I know the left does this as well. Uh, so astroturf, if you're not familiar with this term, grassroots is when regular people are excited and they're making action and they're calling a congressman and that sort of thing. Astroturfing is when you spend money to make it look like that's happening, when in reality it's all artificial or it's all paid. So uh, you want some bond provision to get defeated or pass at your local city council meeting. And normally the city council meeting has two or three people in the audience. And this time there's 100 people in the audience. And the city council's like, oh, my goodness, you know, people are really unhappy and they're all on one side. You know, it could be because there's a grassroots thing, right? Code Next, there was a big grassroots push against it, uh, presumably. Um it, but it also could be that somebody is spending money to hire people, to hire actors to go and testify uh, at these uh, meetings or just to sit there with a shirt that says vote no on proposition, you know, whatever the number of the proposition is. And, you know, these kinds of techniques are deceptive because you're look you're making it look like, the, you know, regular people care about this when in reality they couldn't be bothered unless they were being paid. So it has so little of an impact on their life that they're not that motivated uh, to to get out there. And um, I don't know much of the other means, but the, it's more of just like you can run for pol- for office and do it in an honest way with integrity and you can do it in a very deceptive way. And when the other side is lying, it's really easy to justify your lying, but then that they use that to justify their lying. And ultimately somebody has got to be the honest person <laughs> um, or society collapses ultimately, right? When everyone is dishonest, um, you for, you don't know what the truth is. Uh, and this is ultimately, it leads the end of wars and the end of businesses and the end of countries. So, you know, on paper, your unit's got 10,000 troops, but that's a lie because, you know, half those troops have run away. What you thought you were bringing 10,000 people to the battle. Now you're only bringing 5,000 people to the battle. You were going to win. Now you're going to lose, right? Like that's a really oversimplified version, but somebody somewhere has got to be willing to speak the truth and say what is and what is not. I'm looking at this. Uh, so anyway, that's all I have to say about the means. Go back quickly to the um, violence. I pulled up a chart on Business Insider about some states having higher enlistment rates than others. And it's got the enlistment rate by state. 
uh, for each state in the country. And there's a huge discrepancy. Some states have twice, almost three times the number of uh, enlisted personnel than others. So Florida and Georgia and Maine, randomly, a very high military participation, whereas New York uh, has hardly anyone, less than three enlisted people per thousand. Uh, California is lower than Texas. Uh, basically, these bastions of the of the left, they're not participating in the military as it is. And I think that um, they need to be aware of that, that the institution of the, of the military, which is very bravely and wisely stayed out of all of the culture wars, um, as it should really like it. And it needs to continue to be led by the um, civilian leadership. Like we are really blessed in this country that we have never had a military coup. Um, but historically those are the norm, not the exception. You know, Rome had a military coup every 10 years for a whole century. I thought it was every 10 minutes. <laughs> Seemed like that uh, during the century of, of, uh, you know, 50 years plus or minus Diocletian. Anyway, um, something to be concerned about, but also something to keep in mind on. And it, it's something that we can start to make a difference on. If, if you want to reduce the likelihood of civil war, all you have to do is just speak the truth and not put up for somebody lying around you. Even if their lying is helping what you want to have happen, right? Oh, I want so-and-so to be in power. So I'm going to lie to help him get elected. If you can just be the person who won't allow the ends to justify the means, it only takes a handful to save the country. You don't need everyone to be that way. You just need enough honest men and women who won't take bribes, who won't lie, uh, etc. And it's something that our buzzard nation can start doing. We, we don't have to hope that our leaders will make America honest. We just have to be honest ourselves. You know, it's tax days coming up, you know, pay your honest amount of taxes. You don't have to pay any more than that. You know, we are sponsored by Tom Mumstead CPA. You can know exactly, help you know exactly what your fair share is. So you don't pay a penny more, but don't pay less, <laughs> right? Pay, pay your fair share, contribute to the, um, you know, to the progress of the nation and be the honesty you want to see in the world. And that's all I have to say about that. That's all I have to say about that. In Forrest Gump style. There you go. We do want to know what you think. Feel free to leave us a comment. Uh, we're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. And of course, we're at LibertyBuzzard.com. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. I'm Dustin Hammett. And you've been listening to Liberty Buzzard. This episode of Liberty Buzzard is brought to you by Tom Umstadt CPA. Tom has over 35 years of experience helping people like you pay only their fair share in taxes. Don't let the IRS stress you out. Get Tom and his team on your team at TaxmanTom.com.